Amen. That is right. Hey, how are y'all? I was a little bit weak. Uh, How are y'all? There we go. Much better. Uh, It is good to see y'all. Happy Easter. Good deal. Yeah, it is very exciting to be here. Um, One little uh, quick announcement before we kind of dive in. Um, If you are uh, a parent uh, and you brought your child with you, uh, right after service, about 10 minutes afterwards, we're going to have an Easter egg hunt um, kind of out in the front. And so you can go pick your children up and then uh, meet kind of right out in the front parking lot and they'll be able to uh, collect Easter eggs. We figured what better gift could we give you than to get your children strung out on sugar for the rest of the afternoon, right? So you can go ahead and do that and that will be a fun time. Um, I already cried twice this morning, so it's going to be a good day, I feel like, all right? For those of you who know me, you know that that may spell trouble for the sermon length, but I'm going to try to behave and keep it down. No promises, though, all right? But um, it's good to see so many faces in here, so welcome. Thank you for worshiping with us uh, this Easter. Um, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We'll actually be in Luke chapter 24. We're not going to jump around to different sections today, so you can camp out there. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, Please feel free to grab and take that Bible. If you physically don't own a Bible, we actually want you to keep that. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the Bible and to be able to have the Word. And so please uh, take that and keep that. Um, you can also follow along on your smartphone if you want to do that. Uh, if you have the uh, version app or what some people call the Bible app, uh, underneath the tab section, you can click on live. If you type in the Well Austin, you'll be able to follow along in that way. There are notes, uh, places uh, for the scripture, poll questions, prayer requests, everything can be done on your phone. If you don't have that app, you can actually take this uh, link and paste it right into your browser, and you'll be able to follow along in that way as well. Uh, So whatever works for you. Um, Today we are celebrating the most important day in human history. And I say that without any hesitation and without any uh, holdback. This is by far the most important day in human history. And so I want to tell you kind of my hope and my goal right up front before we even get started. My goal is that you would see the value or, or the importance of the resurrection today. That's what I want to do today. I want you to see the, the value or the importance of the resurrection. Why do we celebrate? Why do we continue to point to? Why do we exalt in the resurrection of Christ? What does that have to do with our lives? And so that's what I want to do. When many people think about Christianity, they think about the cross of Christ, and rightly so right? At the cross, uh, Jesus was brutally beaten. He was mocked and ultimately killed. But the reason that he did that was because our sins were being placed on Christ. And so for the cross to be sort of the symbol of Christianity makes a lot of sense because there we see Jesus rescuing us. We see him redeeming us. We see him paying for our sins. But without the resurrection, the cross is empty. Jesus was just another man, right? For many people died on the cross, but only one died like he died. And it was because of what happened after his death, the resurrection. So that's why we celebrate today. That's why we're excited about Easter because of what it beholds and what it entails. He takes our sin and guilt and gives us his righteousness, his perfection, and it's shown through the resurrection, all right? And so that's what we're gonna look at today. Um, And I'm already excited. I love Easter. I love Easter. So let's dive right in. Uh, Luke chapter 24, pick it up in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, I'll tell you in a second what these things were. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. 
And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved with joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. There are several implications from this text that I want to highlight. Uh, a couple of them are actually very key into the rest of our study today. And so, uh, firstly, this story comes on the heels of a different story called the road to Emmaus, many people call it. Jesus rose from the grave and walked with some disciples seven miles down to Emmaus and began to talk with them and explain to them who he was and the importance of the resurrection. So you see in verse 36 where he says, these things, that's what we're talking about here. Um, but this is the second of two stories that Dr. Luke is sort of tying together for us to help us see why the resurrection is so valuable or why the resurrection is so important. And he's tying these things. In actuality, there's a lot of similarities between these two stories. And so the reason that Luke is writing is he wants you to see how important the resurrection is. So he sort of repeats himself almost twice to begin to stress significance. Uh, in both stories, I have a little chart for you. Uh, Jesus is not recognized. And so we don't have time to read the first story, the road to Emmaus. But in verse 16, the disciples are just walking with him and they don't recognize that it's him. Well, so too, what we just read, the disciples, Jesus appears in the room and they were startled they thought they saw a ghost. They didn't realize that it was the resurrected Savior. In both stories, Jesus isn't recognized. In both stories, Jesus then explains scripture to them and it says, opens up their mind to understand the scriptures. We see that in, uh, in verses 25 through 27 in the first story and we see it here in 44 through 47. He's explaining scripture to them. Uh, thirdly, in both stories, Jesus shares a meal with them and we're gonna hit on the importance of that in a second. And then finally, in both stories, Jesus supernaturally disappears. We haven't read the end of that one yet, but in verse 51 in our story, he disappears. In verse 31, he just sort of vanishes from them, and they're excited, and they're marveled, and they're, what is going on? What are we seeing here? And he begins to walk through that. Now, the reason this is important is that Luke is actually trying to scream something at us. In the Jewish culture, if you wanted to uh, emphasize something, what you would do is that you would repeat it over and over again. And so sometimes you see in the Psalms where it will say, bless the Lord, oh you people, bless the Lord. It's trying to emphasize the fact that we should bless the Lord. And many times when Jesus says, truly, truly, he's trying to emphasize this is actually a true fact right? Well, Luke here is repeating four things. And so it's kind of like our version of like bold, you know, when you type and you want something in bold, hey, here's the address. I don't want you to miss this. Luke is saying four things. So it's like bold, underline, uh, italics, and caps locks, right? Like he's trying to really get our attention here and say, hey, look, what I'm saying to you is extremely important. I want to show you the fact that Jesus actually rose from the dead. This is not a cute story. This was not a story that was transformed as time went on. This was a literal, true, Jesus physically rose from the grave. And so that's what Jesus, or Luke is trying to tell us about Jesus. And so Luke's first point, and that's the first point of our sermon today, is that Jesus is Lord over death. Jesus is Lord over death. That's what Luke is trying to tell us. No other religion, no other person claims to be Lord over death, at least not in the way that Jesus claimed it. There's no other person, there's no other uh, a group of people, there's no other religion that claims the same sort of sacrifice and resurrection that Christianity claims. And this is massive, 
right? And so what are the four things that Luke is trying to tell us here? Well, firstly, and I think that some of you may find this very comforting because I think that a lot of us are in this boat without realizing it. The first thing is that believing in Jesus' resurrection is hard to believe, isn't it? That's what Luke is saying. They didn't recognize Jesus. Why? They weren't expecting Jesus to be standing there in front of them, right? Like once they realized, once they thought, oh wait, is this actually him? They began to grab him and hold on to him and love him and worship him, but it was hard for them to see at first. That should be comforting for many of you because the resurrection is hard to believe at first, right? I mean, like I want you to stop and even if you've been going to church for many years, you're kind of used to the story, but think about what we believe. We worship a guy who was hung on a cross and then we say that he rose from the dead and we worship the risen savior. Like if I told you that I died 10 years ago and I was laying in my tomb for three days and I just like hopped up and now I'm up here preaching, you would find that very hard to believe, right? Like maybe you've heard of the story of like 20 minutes or even like an hour or so, but nobody just like kicks themselves out their grave and stands up amongst you, right? But that's what we actually believe. And the disciples had a hard time believing that. So if you find yourself in the boat where it's kind of hard to believe, that's okay. The disciples were in this boat too. But you have to keep going with the story and begin to really ponder and consider what Jesus is saying. Because the second thing that Luke shows is that Jesus opened their minds to the scriptures. Why is he telling them that? Because Jesus was saying, hey, look, these things were promised about me thousands and thousands of years ago. All the way at Genesis chapter three, verse 15, where it says that uh, the, the seed of the woman will come and crush the serpent's head, all the way up to Malachi, where he promises a savior. There's so many prophecies about me coming. And so Jesus is trying to show them, hey, look, this isn't just something random. This was promised. All of the prophets, all of the Psalms, all of the, uh, of the law, it all pointed to me. It's supposed to help our belief that this isn't random, this was promised. See, many other religions had prophecies, but none of them had the type of fulfillment that Christianity had. Many other things have hopes and dreams and things that they would wish for happen, but these were physically happening. They were laid out before the disciples' eyes. They saw it happen. And there's nothing like that. And so Luke tries to tell us, hey, look, it, it was fulfilled in the scriptures. And Jesus says, yeah, this is who I was. I'm fulfilling what was promised, right? Uh, the, the third thing that he says is that uh, uh, he uh, is actually proving that he's rising from the dead by eating a meal, right? So he eats a meal, he eats the fish, okay? And he's proving I'm physically risen from the dead. We'll come back to that in a second because that's a really, really powerful and very important point. And finally, he ascended into heaven to offer everlasting hope right? If Jesus did not ascend, we would not know if we would ascend to heaven or not. But that's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel says that what we deserve, Jesus takes on. We deserve death. We deserve condemnation. We deserve the actual wrath of God because he's holy and our sin offends him. But because he's also loving, he longs for a relationship with us. In that, Christ took on our punishment and gives us his perfection. So everything that we see in Christ, we can attribute to us if we believe in him. So the fact that he rose and went, ascended into heaven means that you can attribute that to yourself, that you too will rise and ascend into heaven. That's our great hope is that one day we will spend forever with him. Jesus is Lord over death. Jesus defeated death. And that's what Luke is trying to tell us. Now you may be thinking, well, wait a minute. Aren't there other religions that talk about, you know, uh, a, a, a sort of resurrection? Like what about reincarnation? You know, 
And I say to that, reincarnation, you reincarnate and then you die again. And then you reincarnate and you die again. And then you reincarnate and you die again. And that cycle happens over and over and over again. Many other religions don't know what to do with death. But Christianity says, no, you will rise again never to die because Jesus rose and never died again. He defeated death. He's Lord over death. He did not just rise to die again, but he rose for death no longer to have the chains on him. He is living forever, eternal. And so we too are eternal. You may be thinking, well, wait a minute. Isn't even in the, even in the Bible, don't people raise from the dead? And we say, yes, but not like Jesus. Lazarus rose from the dead. Matter of fact, if you stick around with us, we're going through the Gospel of John and we're gonna read Lazarus' story in a couple of weeks. Lazarus rose from the dead, but the difference is dramatic right? Because Lazarus, somebody else called Lazarus out the grave, Jesus. For Jesus' death, he called himself out of the grave, right? Like somebody else had to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus rose himself from the grave. When Lazarus walked out, it said that his grave clothes were still all on him. And Jesus said, unbind him. We see Jesus' grave clothes folded up, laying in the tomb. Even the rock that was rolled away. Somebody had to move Lazarus's rock, Jesus, on the other hand, the, the rock was rolled away. Nobody moved it. Matter of fact, why do you think the rock was actually rolled away? You thought it was so that he could get out, didn't you? Don't lie. You know you did. You're in church, all right? You thought it was so that he can get out. But Jesus just randomly appears in this room with them in this story. He just all of a sudden appears, says, peace be to you. It wasn't so that Jesus could get out. It was so that you could look in. The rock was rolled away so that you could see that Jesus' body is not in the grave. See, Jesus didn't need the rock to be moved. He needed, or you needed the rock to be moved. You needed to be able to look in and say, there's no body in there. Either the disciples stole it or, or, or they hid it or, or Jesus physically got up out of the grave and is alive. The rock was moved so that you could see. And so nobody's death is like Jesus' death for nobody died like he died and nobody went on to live forever after they defeated death. And so Jesus is Lord over death. Jesus is alive. He rose from the grave. He defeated death. And so this is pleading with us that to see this fact that Jesus is over death. It's pleading with us that we would begin to believe that and understand the importance of him being Lord over death. That we have to turn away from ourselves and put our faith and our trust in him for only he can raise himself from the dead. Only he is Lord over the dead. We are not. So when we trust in ourselves or in other things to save us, there's no guarantee that it will. Because nobody else defeated death the way that Jesus did. Every other teacher tried to give clues about life. Jesus says, I am the life to which all other clues point. Right? I am, the, I am life. I am the being to which everybody else is pointing. I am Lord over death. Everything we could ever have or ever wish for or ever hope for is found in the resurrection of our sweet and our precious Savior. And that's why we worship because he's Lord over death. Look at verse 36 again. I love that. Jesus just stands amongst them and says, peace be to you, right? Now, why did he say that? Probably because they were freaking out, <laughs> okay? One, they thought that he was dead, and two, he just randomly appeared in a room, right? Like, if I was standing here preaching and all of a sudden somebody just randomly appeared next to me and, like, put their arms around me, you'd be a little bit scared, right? I would probably die, and I hope that the resurrection is actually true because I would be in, uh, in fear, right? That or I'd say a couple of words that would get me fired, and I'd never be able to be a pastor again. Um, I'll let you think about what those words are unto yourselves, right? But, like, it's a little bit scary. But Jesus says, hey, peace to you. 
I don't come to scare you. This isn't something weird. I'm trying to reveal myself to you. I am Lord over death. And so Jesus offers them peace. And then look at the adjectives that are mentioned in scripture. See, these are important. This is where you go back to to, uh, fifth and sixth grade English, right? Look at the adjectives that describe after Jesus' peace, what do they feel? Look at the text. They were startled, right? Frightened, it says. They uh, uh, were troubled. They were doubting. They were disbelieving. They marveled. See, all of, these, all of these adjectives are describing what happens when you begin to ponder the resurrection and you think about and you begin to see who Jesus actually is. It puts a little bit of emotion in your heart, right? Whether it's disbelief or marvel, whether it's doubting or being troubled or filled with a, a joy, it puts a little bit of emotion in your heart. It's terrifying but beautiful. It's unbelievable because nobody should be able to do that. Sometimes we can get too familiar with the Christian message. Nobody should be able to do what Jesus did. Do you realize that? Nobody. But Jesus did, showing that he's Lord over death, right? Christ is Lord, and so he did. Um, I was trying to think of my own story to kind of relate to the disciples here, and I'm sure that many of you have felt about like something like this. So when I was growing up, we were a really, really poor family, okay? Like really, really poor. I know some people are like, yeah, we were poor too. I grew up in Detroit. That's part A of the story, okay? And the second part is that we were just really poor. My mom was a single mom, uh, three boys, made between sixteen dollars and $20,000 a year. Now for you college kids, you're like, that's a lot. But for everybody else, you realize that's not a lot, right? To support three boys is hard to do. And so there was one year the PlayStation 1 came out. Whew, the PlayStation 1. I, I wanted that so bad. And so I remember asking my mom, mom, can we get a PlayStation 1? I really want a PlayStation 1. She's like, we don't have money, Tori, you know, and I knew it. Like I was getting old enough to recognize we don't, that's, that's impossible to do. So Christmas came around and my mom always hid the last gift at the back, like behind the tree. And we all saw the gift, but she just didn't want us to touch it and get it early, you know? And so I saw the gift and, you know, had a little bit of a hope that it was a PlayStation 1, but it wasn't big enough, I could tell. And I was like, whatever. And then I grabbed the box and it was super light. And I thought, oh, she got us something lame, like a free hour of family photos or something, right? Like, I was really discouraged, right? Uh, my mom's going to be here next Sunday. Don't tell her I said that, all right? Um, I, love, I love her. She's great. But I was afraid that it'd be something lame, you know. So I opened it up, and in it was just a little sheet of paper, and it said, hey, your gift's in my closet. So I was like, oh, shoot. And so me and my two other brothers ran to the closet and we're like looking around. There was another present in there and this one was big enough for a PlayStation. And I was like, my mom did it. And I opened it up and it was like a a shoe box or something, right? A boot box, I guess. And I opened it up and she said, actually, your present's in the tub. I was like, that's random, (laughs) right? So I went into her bathroom, into the tub, and I got out the gift, and I felt it, and it kind of felt like a CD or something. I was like, ah, I don't want a CD. I can buy a CD, right? And so I opened it, and it was a game, like a PlayStation 1 game. I thought, does she not realize that you need the console to be able to play the game? (laughs) You know, I was really confused. And then all of a sudden, it, it struck me. And I ran out front and literally I knocked one of my brothers over and the other one fell on top of him. So I made it out first, all right? And I ran out there and she had hooked up the PlayStation while we were searching for it. And there was the PlayStation that I wanted, right? I disbelieved with joy. Literally, I was like, is this real? 
I thought, did my mom steal this to get this? Because there's no way that, and that may be actually the case, all right? But I literally, and I ran over and I like start touching it because I wanted to see like, is this really real? Now, maybe I was too excited about video games, but it shows I had a, a joy that was in my heart. I literally disbelieved it. The disciples wanted Jesus so badly that when he actually stood amongst them, it says they disbelieved with joy. That's the emotion that they felt. They couldn't believe it. They wanted it to be true, right? They were there with him at the crucifixion. They were crying. They were sitting in the house saying, what do we do now? They wanted it so badly and in stands Jesus in the flesh and says, peace be to you. And they disbelieved with joy. It's the same type of feeling, same type of emotion. They wanted him so badly. Now, I want you to hold on to that thought because we're gonna end the sermon with that thought, okay? We're gonna come back to that in a couple minutes. They wanted Jesus so badly. Remember that. Remember how badly the disciples wanted Jesus. They disbelieved with joy, okay? Um, You could tell that they loved Jesus, that they desperately wanted him, right? Um, We're gonna come back to that. Point number two, Jesus is Lord over life. Jesus is Lord over life. That's what this text is also telling us. Jesus defeated death and now he is ruling over life, not just living, hear my words very clearly, not living, but life. Life, like the thing that you desire Joy, peace, hope, goodness, faithfulness, God's blessing, right? Love, intimacy, life. That's what I mean in life. Jesus is Lord over all of that. Jesus is Lord all of it. Why do I say that? Well, look at the text. Jesus is physically eating with them, right? Remember we said that was important? Why is that important? That Jesus is actually physically eating with them and showing them his flesh and bones. What is he actually getting at? That he's actually alive, right? That this is not some spirit. This isn't a hallucination of the disciples. They weren't kind of wanting so badly Jesus that they just all imagined him to be there. And they had this weird experience that he was actually alive. So he ate amongst them. And Luke, the great storyteller and the great doctor, is being a reporter for us and trying to highlight this fact, okay? So he says things like what Jesus ate. So look at the text. Did Jesus eat fried fish? Maybe like, what the heck are you talking about, man? <laughs> it's an important question. Did Jesus eat fried fish? No. Did he eat baked or grilled fish? No, he ate broiled fish. Why is that important? Why does Luke even add this in? Because he's reporting. He's reporting. When you're trying to fabricate a story, you don't add in little details like the type of fish that somebody ate, right? But Luke was saying, no, look, he was alive and they had some, some broiled fish there. And he went over and he grabbed it and he ate it right in front of them. And then they said, this must be a, a, a real human being. He must be flesh and bones. And then they touched him and they beheld him. Luke is trying to report to us that Jesus is actually alive. And so he's giving even these small details saying, no, the disciples very distinctly remembered this because they were shocked at it. I love verse 43 as well. It says that he ate it before them. Not just ate it, but he ate it before them, right? So he didn't grab the fish, go into the corner, kind of eat it, and then came back and was like, the fish is gone. He literally stood there and ate the fish. And the disciples were probably watching like, is the fish gonna like fall out of his belly? Is he a spirit, (laughs) right? And Jesus ate it and said, hey, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like I have. Did Jesus need to eat the fish? I I don't think so. In heaven, we get to see our resurrected bodies. It doesn't look like there needs to be an eating. Why does Jesus do this? Well, just like the reason the stone was rolled away. It was for their sake, not for his sake. He wasn't hungry. He wanted to show them, I am actually alive. And so he stood there and ate it and said, you ever seen Casper do something like this? 
I don't know if Casper eats. That may be a terrible analogy, right? But you get the point. He's saying, look, spirits can't do this. Only a physical, literal, alive being can eat like this. I am alive. And he's trying to show them this, right? And so I know that uh, many of you uh, in here are not committed to Jesus because you're afraid of missing out on something. I know that's where many of us are. You're not fully committed because you're afraid that you're going to miss out on life. You're afraid that you're going to miss out on some sort of fun, some sort of joy, some sort of peace, some sort of happiness that can't be found outside of Christianity. Because it seems like from a distance that Christianity is kind of a box, a framework of these rules that you step into and you're afraid that if you step into that, or even if you're a Christian, if you follow hard after that, that you'll miss something. That something is to be had that is not found in Christ. And so you're committed, or, or, or you're not committed, sorry, to following Jesus because you're afraid of missing out on what? On life. That's why I'm not just saying alive, but the word life. You're afraid to miss out on that. Jesus is Lord over life. That's what this text is trying to show us. And so Jesus is trying to show us you don't have to be afraid of missing out on these things. You don't have to be afraid like you're going to miss something if you follow hard after Christ. Jesus eating the fish means that you will have a physical future. Do you hear that? Jesus eating the fish means that this is not some mystical, right? This is not some hypothetical. This is not some like we're not going to be or fairies floating around in the sky, right, with a fairy dust. This isn't mythical. This is a literal, real, tangible, you will have a physical future, that's what the resurrection of Christ shows. So you don't have to fear about missing out on something because you will have a physical future except you'll be living in perfection for eternity. Do you hear that? I'm glad one person got a little bit excited about that, right? You will be living in perfection forever for eternity. You don't have to fear as if you're gonna miss out on something here on this earth. And so I know you want sex. I know you want love or intimacy. I know you want fame. Or, or joy, you want peace. I know that you want success or material possession. Do you realize that all of that is found in Christ for eternity? We don't have to fear that. We don't have to fear that. Christ's resurrection being physical shows us that we're not just speaking in a fairy tale mindset. We're speaking of a physical resurrection. The fact that he ate, that he was flesh and bones, that they touched him. You too, if you believe in Christ, will have a physical, literal, alive future. You don't have to fear about missing out on something. This isn't just a good story. This is truth. And because this is truth, you and I who believe in him will have a renewed, uh, a completely brand new life. C.S. Lewis said it like this in Mere Christianity. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. Right? So a baby feels hunger. Well, there is a such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there is such thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, however, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. I love that. Right? Because everything that we chase, does it actually satisfy us in the end? No. You know that. You've lived long enough to tell that. Except it's so hard to believe that. And so you're afraid that in coming to Christ, you'll miss out on it. 
because he may call you to give up some of your life, to give up some of your desires too. And it's a, it's a little bit fearful, but you don't have to worry about that because Christ is physically alive and that means you will be too and that means you will gain it all. Jesus promises that in scripture, right? You want to experience life to the fullest, but can't you see that Jesus is life to the fullest? He's the Lord over life, and so you won't miss out. And so you don't have to be scared or desperately chasing, trying to passionately hold on to these things. You get them in Christ. C.S. Lewis said it like this in The Weight of Glory, another, another quote of his. The faint, far-off results of those energies which God's creative rapture implanted in matter when he made the worlds are what we now call physical pleasures. You tracking with that? It's a lot of big words there. He was a really smart guy, a lot smarter than me, all right? And even thus filtered, they are too much for our present management. Are you catching this? What? Would it be to taste at the fountainhead, that stream of which even these lower reaches prove so intoxicating? This is such a pregnant statement. I wish I could unfold it more, right? Ultimately, what is he saying? God puts these desires in our hearts for a reason to point us back to him. That ultimately our true satisfaction in life, the things that we want in life can actually only be found in Christ because we can't even handle the life that we have today. So we get some joy and then what do we want? More joy. It's not enough. We get a toy and so then what do we want? Another toy. We get sex and then what do we want? More sex. We get marriage and then we're not content. We get kids and whatever it may be, it only hits the taste buds and our hearts scream, there's something more. Combining those two statements, what is C.S. Lewis saying? What is Jesus even showing us here? That's right. You're not wrong in that thought. That's actually a correct thought. There is something more. And all of that fulfillment is actually found in Christ. Hallelujah, praise Jesus that he physically rose. Because you can have all of those things. The resurrection proves this. Point number three. Let's read, uh, let's actually read first. Verse 46 through 49. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Point number three is that Jesus calls us for something, not just to something. Jesus calls us for a purpose, not just to a message. Let me put it another way. Christianity is not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. You don't land on community chest, get the get-out-of-hell-free card, and then you're good to go. That's not what Christianity is. Unfortunately, many people kind of treat it like that. But here we see Christ not just calling us to a message of redemption, but for something. What is he showing us? That your life actually matters. That's what that means. Your life has purpose. Your life has reason. Your life matters. It actually echoes throughout eternity. I love that quote in Gladiator, right? What happens today echoes throughout eternity. Uh, that's true. Your life actually matters. And Jesus says, you know that you can come live for me? Not just in me, you don't just get life, but now you get to live for me. And the joy of that is unspeakable, 
Christ calls us to make much of his name. Why? Because this is the most important message in the world. It's the message of love, of life, of hope, of joy, of everything that we just talked about that our hearts desire. It's found and wrapped in the gospel. And Jesus says, you get to be witnesses to these things. I remember when the Lord first started calling me into what I felt like he was calling me into full-time ministry. At the time, I was playing football and nothing like huge, you know, I wasn't like at uh, uh, UT or Alabama or whatever it may be, right? But I was going to a D1 school to play football and I, I, the whole summer, I felt like God was trying to pulling at my heart. You're supposed to be in ministry. You're supposed to be in ministry. You're supposed to be in ministry. I'm like, oh, but I really find a lot, like I think it's football. Like I think that might be my ministry. Maybe you can, maybe you can take this and, and make that my ministry, right? No, you're, you're supposed to be in ministry. You're supposed to be in ministry. And I remember just walking around like, oh, Lord, right? I'm like doing the ducky on the Lord, right? Like what's going on, right? And I'm mad. God, what are you doing? I'll go out three days into practice, hurt my wrist, got done with football, got plugged into a church, start doing ministry, and the joy that I experienced into what God was calling me to and for far outweighed the joy that I experienced beforehand. Christ is saying, look, I'm not just calling you to a message. I'm actually calling you for something, for your life to have purpose, meaning, value. Your life matters. And so it's not enough just to give Christ a little bit off the top right? Every once in a while, think about Jesus a little bit. Jesus says, I want your life. I want your life to matter, this life right now and the life to come. Because not only do we get to think about the future, our eternal hope, but we also get to think about the present hope. That's why Jesus came back in the present. That's why he didn't just wait until the person was about to die and then be like, hey, look, I'm actually real. He said, no, I'm going to come back now to show you your life has meaning, purpose, value. Right? And so many of us, we're afraid that we're going to miss out on something if we chase Jesus. I promise you, I promise you, scripture promises, you can see many other people's lives that have been walking with Jesus for a long time. You miss out on nothing. In reverse, you gain everything that your heart desires anyway. You gain it all. Fourth point, you can have him. You can have Jesus. Okay? Now, remember what I asked you to remember a couple of minutes ago? Don't worry, my short-term memory is terrible too, all right? <laughs> I asked you to remember what the disciples desired, right? They wanted Jesus. They were trying to cling to Jesus, right? They, they wanted him. They wanted to touch him and see they disbelieved with joy. Remember the story I told about my PlayStation 1, right? I, I touched it. I, I couldn't believe it. I wanted it. That's how the disciples felt about Jesus, okay? And think about this. This is so beautiful. This is so beautiful. The final point that we see is that the resurrection shows that they actually have him. They can have him, and the resurrection proves that point. See, every other fantasy and every other love story ends, right? You watch the movie, you love it, you fall in love with the character, and then it's done. Maybe they write a sequel, but then it's done. Maybe they're like Fast and Furious, and they just don't know when to stop, and they write like nine sequels, right? But it's done at some point. However, this man you get to behold forever. Or let's bring it into real life. Maybe the marriage that you really desired. Won't that be done at some point? I mean, praise the Lord. Maybe it lasts for 50, 60 years. And then don't you die? The money that you have right now, do you take that anywhere? The toys that you want, the things that you desire. I wanted that PlayStation 1 so badly. Do you know what happened to it? It got stolen like a year later. No joke, right? And then I got the PlayStation 2. And then that little, the spinny wheel broke because they all broke on those, 
right? And then uh, I think there's even a PlayStation 4 now. I don't even know anymore, right? They keep, like, you, just, you have to get the new one or it passes away and fades. Except these men have Jesus. They got to behold the thing that their hearts crave more than anything else forever. And the resurrection proves this, right? Read the last part of this text, verse 50. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. When he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him, check that word, worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with what? Great joy. Not joy in disbelief, but now they realize that they see it's true. They have great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God forever. The resurrection, the Easter story is proof that you can have life, that you can behold Christ forever. He will never leave you or forsake you, Matthew ends his gospel with. Here it says, he's ascended into heaven, sitting on the throne, waiting for us to get there, preparing a place for us, scripture says. You get to have Jesus. The thing that your heart screams, C.S. Lewis says, the thing that is pleading with you for, I want you to have joy. I want you to have peace. I want you to feel love and intimacy. You have it in Christ. Jesus, because he physically rose, literally rose, offers that to anybody who would take it. And you can have him. This does not have to be a story that ends. Because Jesus did not die again. He rose into heaven, sitting at the right hand of God to live forever. The disciples didn't lose their love. They gained their love forever. They got to behold him. And see, this is why it's hard to do the resurrection in one sermon. It's really hard because you have to see why they love Jesus so much. You have to read this whole book to begin to see why the love of Christ was so intoxicating the fact that he healed and he taught and he gave himself and he washed their feet and he blessed them and he challenged them and he encouraged them. And you have to see all these things to be able to realize why Jesus is so worth it. So worth it. And the resurrection proves that everything that he did is true. Do you know why every single gospel writer ended on the resurrection? Every single gospel writer. Why Paul almost always hits on that first because this is the important point. The resurrection proves that everything we want in Christ is true. It's screaming out that Jesus is worthy to be worshiped and worthy to be followed by you, by you, that God longs to be intimate, to have a relationship, to fill you with what your heart desires and in turn you get to worship and follow him and make much of your life. Every single gospel ends the same way because Jesus longs for you. It begs for our repentance and our turning toward him. And by believing in Jesus, you get the end of the story too. It's not just the disciples who got to behold him. It's you as well. See, I, I get to behold Jesus, not because I'm cool, not because I'm a pastor. I'm the chief of all sinners. I know myself. I am so unworthy to come to Jesus, yet he gives himself freely to me and I get to behold him. I get to know him. He offers this to every single one of us. Jesus is a friend, right? The only friend that will last forever. Remember your childhood friend that probably moved away when you were in sixth grade or something? It was so devastating, right? And then your college friends, as you got older, you kind of lost contact. If friendship is what your heart screams for, do you realize that Jesus calls himself a friend? Not even just a friend, a friend to sinners, which by the way, you are, 
right? We all have sinned against God. We are not perfect people, yet for some reason, a perfect God longs to be a friend of ours. That is good news. That is good news. Do you want marriage or intimacy? Do you realize that it says that Jesus is the the husband, the, the bridegroom, that he's in heaven preparing a place for us and we are his bride, the church. If marriage or intimacy is what your heart is screaming for, that's a good thing. It's screaming for Jesus. Jesus, the ultimate husband, the husband that never dies, that never fails, that always gives what your heart longs for. You get to behold him. You get to have Jesus because of the resurrection. Do you want riches? Is material, is that what your heart longs for? Listen, that's not a bad thing, right? You thought I was gonna say it was bad, huh? That's not bad. Do you know why your heart wants that? Do you realize the riches that await you in heaven? The thing that we count as most valuable here on earth, gold, you walk on in heaven. It doesn't even matter, right? You walk on. The riches there to be had, not just materially, but even in Christ. If your heart longs for that, you got to realize that Jesus is the fulfillment of this, right? Do you long to feel freedom from guilt or from shame or from depression or from the weight that you can feel sometimes when you know that you're a sinner or when you feel like you've just disappointed people? Do you desire that freedom? Do you realize that Christ promises that he can give that to you? Come to me, he says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, he says. Jesus, that is found in Jesus. The resurrection proves you can have the opposite of that. Love, joy, peace forever. The resurrection is the most important day because of all of these things encompassing. It proves all of these things. Do you want joy or pleasure? Jesus says, or God says that uh, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. They're found in Christ. The disciples touched him. They held him. They have tasted and seen the beauty of Jesus. And you can have him. You're a skeptic. You're not really sure about this. You can have Jesus. Begin to consider, did Jesus actually raise from the dead? What if he actually rose? What if this isn't a fabrication? What if all 11 of these men that saw him that eventually got killed for their faith because they believed it so much, what if they actually saw him? You can have him. You who feel unworthy or too sinful to come to Christ, do you realize that Jesus died on the cross for your sin? It's actually a sense of pride that keeps us from coming to Christ in that way. We feel like our sins are too dirty for God to heal, except what we're saying is our sins are greater than God. No, God's grace is far greater than that. And you can find freedom in Christ. If we're self-righteous, we want to do it ourselves, that's a heavy burden. I've been there. I'm there frequently. I want to do it myself, do it myself. That's a heavy burden. And Christ says, no, I've done it for you. Come to me. You want love. You want joy. If you're a saint and you've believed him, do you know that you can have Jesus This isn't just a story that we talk about randomly every once in a while or we think about an Easter. You can behold him today. You can have Jesus. And not just today because it's Easter, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day, you get to have a relationship with the God of the universe. Y'all, the resurrection is beautiful. It is so beautiful. And Luke here and this gospel and all the gospel writers and I am beckoning, I'm pleading with your soul to come to Jesus. He is worthy. What your heart desires so deeply, you could find in Christ. This is why we love Easter. 
This is why we worship at the resurrection. This is why we sing songs saying, he is alive, because he is alive. And because of that, he can give you exactly what your heart pleads for, give you purpose, wash your sins away, and make you righteous with him. You can have a relationship with the God of the universe. A spirit does not have flesh and bones. Jesus is alive. Let's pray. God, I thank you for that truth. That you are alive, Jesus. You are alive. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God. Thank you for defeating death. God, I, 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 I'm honest. I, I fear death sometimes. I think about what happens if somebody that I love dies or what happens. You defeated it already, Jesus. By belief in you, we can live forever, have life because you defeated death. You are Lord over death and Lord over life. We find everything that we need and want in you. Jesus, you are God. And I thank you for that, God. I thank you for that. Holy Spirit, would you please Please do a work in our hearts, God. Please do a work in our hearts. Help us to realize this as being true. Help us to come to you and to behold you and to grasp onto you and to believe this forever and ever. Jesus, you are so worthy of our praise and our worship. And I desire to give that to you today, God. And I pray that you would please help us to worship you. Praise in your precious name. Amen. Um, in a moment, some of the ushers are going to come forward, but I'll ask them to stay back there for a moment. Um, some of you have never actually began a relationship with Jesus. I'm aware of that. Easter, you come in, you, you hear about this, and maybe today for some reason, maybe it's the first time you've heard this message, or maybe it's the hundredth time, but it's actually beginning to resonate in your heart. You have an opportunity to enter into a relationship with the God of the universe that your sins would be washed away, that you don't have to fear death anymore or separation from God, that you get a relationship with him. You get to know him. On your communication card, there's a little place where you can check off and says, I, I wanna begin a relationship with Jesus or I wanna talk to a pastor to figure out more. If you feel your heart prompting in that, listen to what C.S. Lewis is saying. Your heart's trying to tell you something and I wanna encourage you to do that today. We're not gonna make you walk up to the front, right? and show everybody, but, but the Lord may be doing something in your life. If that's the case, I would encourage you, mark it off, drop it in. You can chat with Bob or, or myself or one of the elders. We would love to help you know more if you have questions. For others of you, you do Easter every once in a while, maybe Christmas, maybe you come to church sporadically a little bit and you realize that Jesus is actually calling for more that he's actually calling for your whole life. That he wants your life. He wants you to be invested, not just once a year, not just giving him his due, but he wants all of you. And so for those of you, I would actually encourage you, hey, get plugged in. It doesn't have to be here, okay? If, if this isn't where you feel comfortable, that's great. Get plugged in somewhere. Get plugged in, start reading scripture, start praying, realize that you can behold life. You can behold joy. You can have him. Next week, we did it on purpose. Next week, we're doing our first steps class. 
to be able to figure out, hey, how do I get involved with church? What does it mean to actually follow Jesus and to give my life to him? I would encourage you, check that off if you, if you want uh, to do that. For others of you, you know and you love Jesus and you worship him, you're here every week. And I pray that today particularly, where we stop and we think and we worship him for the resurrection, that God would scream out in your heart that he is alive and that he is good and that he loves you. I'm gonna have the ushers come forward. We're gonna do our tithes and offerings. Um, if you came prepared to give, this is a way in which we worship God. So I encourage you to go ahead and give. Don't feel pressure to give, though that's not what this is about.